Well, thank you for making uh, the 5K a reality. And that money that goes to City Lights will go a long way in ministering to other people. Before I begin this morning, I just want to, I feel like we really need to pray about the tragedy that we've had this past week in Texas and also remember what this weekend's about, Memorial Day. So would you join me in prayer? Father, our hearts are broken and we're grieving for this community in Texas that had this tragic, tragic loss. Children are supposed to be running and playing. And Lord, I just I pray, God, that you would be with these families, that you would shatter them, God, with your comfort and your healing. Father, we pray, Lord, against the evil in our land. Lord, your word says, if your people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, I will heal their land. Lord, we need healing in our land. We need to return to the values of Christianity in seeking God's face. Lord, be with this community, with our country, God. Lord, we pray, Lord, for them this morning, unimaginable pain that they're going through. Be with them, God. And Lord, we also pray for um, those who are grieving this morning because of the loss of their loved ones from years and years ago who gave the ultimate sacrifice of their life for our freedom. And so, Lord, we remember and we give thanks, Lord, for the sacrifices that have been made for our country. And so, Lord, we ask this morning, God, as we come, Lord, that your word, uh, Lord, would go forth. Lord, put me aside. Uh, Lord, I, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing unto you, O God. And Lord, we ask, Lord, that you would, your presence would be manifest here this morning. And we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'm one of the pastors here, Sunday Flowers at River Oaks. And this morning, we're taking a break from our Luke study that we've been doing. And we're beginning a new summer series entitled Questions. And throughout the summer, we're going to be covering topics that people have questions about or maybe they're struggling with. Today, we'll be looking at a topic, well, that everyone in here at some point is going to deal with, and that's grief, the loss of someone. And so the question this morning is, how do I find healing on my journey of grief? Now, grief is defined as this, a natural response to loss it's the emotional suffering you feel when something or someone you love is taken away. Often the pain of loss can feel overwhelming. You may experience, you may experience all kinds of difficult and unexpected emotions from shock or anger to disbelief, guilt, and profound sadness. Grief is hard. Do you realize in the, in the United States alone, this is without COVID, 2.5 million people pass away every year in the United States. And they leave behind five to six grieving people. So in any given year, 15 million people are grieving the loss of a loved one. Not to mention that 5% of all children will lose both parents by the time they're 15 years old. It's terrible. 
So it's important for us as God's people to understand that grief is hard. It's something we're going to all do. And we all grieve differently because we're all made differently. You know, I found in the past couple of years, things have been extremely difficult here in our church. We have lost some really, really special folks. All of you are special, but it seems just since January, we've done 11 or 12 funerals. It's painful. Now, if you add in, uh, add in over the, the last couple of years with the isolation that COVID gave and the, and the fact that many people were not able to be with their loved ones when they passed because they couldn't go into the room. Terrible. But, you know, there's many types of losses that can cause grieving in our life. While families endure the passing of a, a spouse or a parent or a child, others grieve the loss of a marriage because of divorce or the loss of a job or a close friend or even the loss of a dear pet. As I cover the topic of grief today, I'm, I'm going to be referring more to the loss of a loved one. However, in dealing with grief or any kind of loss that causes grief, a lot of the, the steps we're going to go over apply to them at some point. You know, when a loved one dies that's lived a long time or they had an extended illness, we kind of grieve along the way, but we still grieve when they pass. However, grief becomes even greater when we lose a loved one to tragedy, something that's unexpected, those sudden tragedies is really hard to deal with. Recently, I read a quote regarding grief that really hit home for me. It said, the cost of truly loving someone is grief. The deeper the love, the greater the grief. When I was in Kenya last month, we were driving up to a, the place we're going to do ministry at, and we come, we come upon a bunch of trucks. People were hanging off. They were yelling and all this and whistling. And, and I asked the driver, I said, is this a political rally? They said, no, that's a funeral. This is the way they mourn here. Kind of crazy, but that's the way they do it. Now, <laughs> I have to say... I really, I had compassion for them. I felt sorry for their loss, but I didn't share in the grief to the point they did because I didn't know them. But the point here is this, the greater the love, the greater the grief. As believers, we need to see grief as a journey with God in which he brings healing and even growth in our relationship with him, with our, in our spiritual life. Because see, with times allowing God to work in our lives, what he can do, he turns our mourning into joy. And when it first happens, that doesn't seem possible. I want to read a Facebook post from a former member about her journey of grief. I think it gives you, a lot of you will know what she's talking about here. She says, grief. Where do I begin? The past two years have been devastating. I am up in the middle of the night thinking about it. I'm no expert. However, I've lost both my parents in the past four and a half years. 
But losing an adult child is a whole different level of intense grief. For me, grief is like an unwanted friend. I will refer to it as a she for a moment. In the beginning, she comes every day and she stays, she stays all day long. She shows up at the grocery store while you're riding down the road, listening to music, cooking, working, eating dinner, pretty much always everywhere. She makes you cry mostly, like all the time. She makes you angry sometimes, tries to make you afraid, even depressed, makes you screams, makes, makes you feel guilty for breathing or existing. Sometimes she comes in the middle of the night and wakes you up and keeps you up all night long. Other days she might come see your family instead of you and you see her hurt them as well. As time goes on, her visits are not as often she still comes most days, but doesn't stay that long. Thank God. She has skipped coming to see me a few days here and there, which I'm grateful for. Despite what others say, I hope to see this unwanted friend less in the future. She says other times grief is like a lion sneaking up on you, ready to pounce on you and devour you out of nowhere, or like the alligator waiting under the surface of the water hidden and then jumps and chases you and pursues you while you run for your life. None of these words can adequately explain the intense pain you feel. Trust me, you don't want to ever understand it. And she says this, I know that grief is a journey, but I look, look forward to seeing less of it in the days to come. Grief is not meant to be a permanent part of your life forever, but a season it's not a lifestyle. I understand you must walk through it to get to the other side. I feel like I've been running through it this past year. I'm not naive. I know my unwanted friend will show up at times. Anything less this past year, this past year will be appreciated. You will not feel this way forever. I'm looking forward to having a new friend this year. In faith, I will call her Joy. Just a beautiful picture, but also an intense picture of pain that what she's went through. But she understands that grief is a journey, and she ends this. And the journey continues. Isaiah 61, provide for those who grieve in Zion to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. Now, I know from counseling many people over the years who's lost a loved one. No matter the circumstances, that it causes grief, and it's, grief is long and it's hard. But with time, and this is the key point to this, is leaning into the Lord and allowing Him to carry our sorrows. Our journey of grief begins to go one step closer to hope and joy. Look at this passage overhead from Isaiah 53, speaking about Jesus. It says he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, and acquainted with grief. And at the end of that, it says, surely he has bore our griefs and carried our sorrows. See, Jesus knows when you're hurting. He knows what you're going through, and he's there 
to comfort you and take that away. But you have to allow him to do that. He knows the pain you're going through. Psalms 23 is a, a passage that is read at a lot of funerals because it's a psalm of comfort and, and a promise that Jesus, the great shepherd of our soul, is with us. Listen to this. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. See, as we walk through the death of a loved one, God has promised to be there with us, right beside of us on our journey of grief. He knows what we're going through and what can bring comfort to us as believers is knowing this in our loss. The truth of the resurrection and the truth of eternal life that Jesus has promised us because this life is not all there is. There's one to come. In 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 15, we find these words of comfort from the Apostle Paul. It says, We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who fall asleep, that you may not grieve as others who have no hope. Our hope is in the resurrection. Our hope is in Jesus, that he has went to prepare a place for us. And it says here, for we, for this we declare to you by the word of the Lord that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. There's a promise here about the coming of Jesus and what that brings to us as believers. And I really think these passages point to the fact of this. As believers, we will grieve. We're not immune to that just because of our faith. However, the good news is it's not a journey we do by ourselves. The Lord is with us to heal us of that loss. Grief is a very personal journey, and everybody will respond to it differently. They will respond differently to the process. They will need their family and friends differently, and they will lean into the Lord differently. However, I believe that having an idea of what is normal in grief can be helpful. I've spoken to so many people over the years who think they're just in the middle of that. They're losing their mind. At any given time, their emotions, well, they're all over the place. It's like the mom expressing her grief in this post from Facebook. Sometimes she cries. Sometimes she's depressed. She screams. She's angry. She finds herself feeling guilty for outliving her daughter. All these emotions can be overwhelming to the point that you can't think straight. You feel like you're going out of your mind. And I try to always ensure people that's going through this, all these emotions that you're feeling are normal. They're a normal part. It's the way we deal with grief. Overhead, you'll see... Some common emotions that people may experience while grieving. Now, this is not an exhaust. We could put page after page after page of emotions up there because we grieve differently. The first and most common response a lot of times is anger. I remember visiting a lady years ago 
Her son was killed in a, a car accident. And so I went over to the house to visit with her and, and pray for the family. And she was surrounded by some friends that were there helping her with her grief. And I remember her telling me, I am so angry at God. Is that okay? And I just, I sit there and prayed a little bit. I said, well, yes. See, anger is a response to the hurt and pain we feel when we lose someone. And I told her that God is the God that gave us all of our emotions, even the ones he gave her, even those of anger. But I told her God's shoulder is big enough to take anything that we throw at him because we are his children. He knows our pain and emotions. He knows he's given it to us. But I told her the key was not allowing that anger towards God to take a root of bitterness, but to really lean into him and allow him to bring healing to her. In the past couple of months, I've met with two ladies who lost their husbands after many years of marriage. They both told me they were dealing with so many emotions at one time and talked about just this ambush of grief. And which is, these things are most often triggered by just the daily things we go through in life. And I've talked to other people that's confirmed these ambushes, some sharing that a wave of grief came over them when they were walking through the store and they passed by somebody. And the, maybe the man had the same cologne on that their husband wore. Or the phone rings at the home and out of habit you say, dear, can you get that? And then realize you're alone and they're not there. Or you see a person in the store and they look just like your loved one who passed. And what happens, these triggers, they catch people off guard and they cause this ambush of grief to well up inside of us. Another response to grief is fits of crying. In Norman Wright's book entitled Experience in Grief, he writes and instructs people, he says this, Go ahead and cry like a river. Let it rain down like tears from heaven and let it cleanse and carry you to the arms of those who are strong for you. See, as, as believers, we grieve over our losses with both real tears and real hope. Some other common emotions that people deal with are just loneliness. Their house is not the same. They have trouble sleeping, not enough, or they sleep too much. Some say they have this mental fall going on and like it follows them around and they feel like they've lost their ability to function normally. Everything is in slow motion. They even express sometimes a struggle to pray and then feel guilty because they don't their lack of prayer. Others have voiced their concern on how hard it is just to go back to church alone or go out to eat or go to a, a gathering that used to be a normal part of their life. See, everything changed overnight. Suddenly normal was not normal anymore because of all these ambushes making them feel like, I just don't know how to deal with this. 
Look at the screen up here. These, these emotions are like a tangled ball, and they're all at one time coming at you. But it's normal for all those things to be going on at one time. The next thing is this. Look over here, look at this screen. A lot of count, most counselors use this graph overhead on the left regarding this, these stages of grief. And you see how nice and smooth that line is? But that's not the way grief is. It's not linear. It's not smooth. It's like the road that you got on the right. It's all over the place. Some days you take two steps forward, and some days you take three steps back because of all those emotions. It's normal. I recently read C.S. Lewis' journal entitled grief observed it takes you on his journey of his grief dealing with the loss of his wife and in this work lewis is honest with his emotions and he states that i yelled at god i doubted god's goodness and was angry at god now we find here one of the greatest christian apologists struggling with his grief see even the strongest of believers we struggle with it because we love someone. The greater the love, the greater the grief. Lewis goes on to say, the stronger the faith, the more the devil attacks its fortress. Because he wants to keep us down there. And Lewis tackles the same questions that most of us have when we lose someone. Why did God allow this to happen is God really good? I don't understand what he's doing. It's a natural question. And no one, no one, no one except God himself can answer that question. I heard um, a quote by C.S. Lewis at a funeral a while back. And the quote is this, Lewis says, I believe all the questions that people have to ask God when they get to heaven will be replaced with one word, oh, oh, now I understand, now I see. And see, the Bible confirms that and uh, 1 Corinthians 13, it says, For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when perfection comes, the, the partial will pass away. For I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been known. See, when we get to heaven, we won't have to ask any questions because we're going to be standing in the glory and presence of God and nothing matters. And, but then we really know the, the whole purpose have, of life Oh, <laughs> you know, all the books I've read on grief, they share this one common theme to help people in their goal of recovery, to move past it. And it's this, the beginning of healing comes when we lean into our grief and we ask the Lord to bring healing to our hearts. The beginning of of healing comes when we lean in to our grief and ask the Lord to bring healing to our hearts. Because see, when we do this, 
we will not only experience that comfort and that healing, but we grow in our relationship to him. The Bible says, draw near to me and I'll draw near to you. But the key is allowing yourself to grieve and embrace God like you've never done that before. I want to share this morning some goals on how to deal with grief when it comes. There's a wonderful program called Grief Share that's held at many local area churches. In fact, we're in the process of looking at helping start something here like that. But it meets on a weekly basis, and it helps people move past their grief into a place of joy. Uh, they covered these six goals that we're going to go over this morning to help people. And as I share these six goals, then you need to understand something. We're going to go through six of them. They don't always happen in the same order. Sometimes they can all happen simultaneously. Since we're all different and we grieve differently, attaining these goals will be different from person to person. And the first one is this. The first goal is acceptance. For most people, it takes a long time. It takes six to nine months for the heart to accept what the head knows. It's really hard to deal with a death of a loved one. And the reason for this are those ambushes of emotions that many people speak about when you walk into the house and walk in the door and you say hello no one replies all that adds to making it hard to accept that death first Corinthians, first Thessalonians 4 the apostle Paul was talking about the coming of the Lord chapter 4 there and he says these words then we who are alive who are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and so we will be with the Lord forever. And he ends that, therefore encourage one another with these words. Did you hear that? We, our loved ones and us, will be with the Lord forever. See, I believe that we will know and see our loved ones in heaven and we will know them and we will be with them for eternity. And we'll all be saying, Oh, oh, because we'll be with, with the Lord. The, this fact, though, helps us greatly in our acceptance of their passing that the grave is not the final resting place for the believer. We'll not only be with our loved ones, but we'll be with the Lord forever, our God. Paul ends this passage with, therefore, encourage one another with these words. They're words of truth. They're words of comfort to us. That's the first thing is to accept that, but also understand the reality of what awaits us. The second goal is turning to God. That means we run to him. We cry out to him. We embrace him. We pray. We seek his face. See, God has promised that the grave is not the end. We need to be intentional about seeking him. Don't push him away. Draw near to him. Because we see in his word these rich promises about the healing of our broken hearts. 
Psalms 34, 18, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. The name of the Lord is a strong tower, and the righteous man runs into it, and they're saved. And then we hear, hear my prayer, O Lord, from Psalms. Let my cry come to you. Do not hide your face from me in my distress. Incline your ear to me. Answer me speedily in the day I call. That's a heart cry. God, help me. Hear me. Bring healing to me. See, turning to God, our great comforter, is the key to our healing. And remember also along this journey, as we turn to him, we grow in our relationship to him. The third goal is expressing your emotions. See, we live in a culture that does not want to talk about death or the pain that it causes us. I've seen grieving people just shut down. They refuse to open up and share their feelings. Some isolate themselves. But see, if you avoid expressing your emotions, what you really do is that you numb love and joy and the people around you that want to help you, that connection to them. We just need to be authentic in our grief. Don't stuff our emotions and our tears down because Jesus didn't. He showed emotions. He wept over the death of his friend Lazarus in John 11. He wept over the city of Jerusalem in Luke 19:41. And in Hebrews 5, 7, it says, In the days of Jesus, of his flesh, the time on earth, Jesus offered up prayers and supplication with loud cries and tears to God who was able to save him. And he was heard because of his relationship to the Father. If Jesus can show the emotions of crying and weeping, we can too, and we should. Uh, the fourth goal is uh, establishing a new identity. Now, what does that mean? Well, the first thing we need to understand is that our identity begins in our relationship with God. That's where we need to start at. If you find your identity in Him first, you will never, ever be let down because He has proven time and time and time again His faithfulness, His trustworthiness, His love for us, like we sang about this morning. But it's important that you define your identity, that God is not just an aspect of who you are, like I'm a Christian or I'm a religious person or I'm spiritual. You need to understand that your identity in God starts with understanding who he is, what he has said about himself, and what he has said about us, and what he has called us, his children, his precious Adopted children, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. It's important that a person discovers the new identity and what God is calling them to do in life after this loss. And sometimes that's really hard when you've been married to a spouse for a long time and they pass 
and you've spent your life together as one and you feel like half of that is gone. I know that's intense pain. I want to give you an example of a person in our church who has dealt with her grief and started to establish a new identity. This is not saying that she's perfect because she says, I'm still grieving. I had to go through it, but I had to make a decision. Surely little. Her husband, Dick Little, of 60 years, went to be with the Lord in 2019. And she found herself, like as a widow, alone and grieving, even though she was surrounded by people. Shirley's got this deep, strong relationship with the Lord, but she still grieved. But she said she allowed God to begin to bring that comfort and hope and healing in the midst of her loss. But she also came to realize that it was a new season in life, and God had given her many gifts and talents over the years, and now he was calling her to go out and use them. So at the young age of 82, she, became, she, be, uh, she went through a class, and she became a court-appointed advocate for abused children in our court system. For the last year, she's been working with a family. Uh, her parents were drug addicts, they, and the kid was taken out of the home, and she was the advocate for the child. And in this whole year, she's been speaking to them and speaking into their life. She has to do that with some a little bit of restraint. But at the end of the year, that child was put back in that home when the parents cleaned their lives up. And at the end, she was able to take a Bible to the kid and to the family and share the gospel with them. So God is using her, using the gifts and the talent she's got for her to do ministry. Man, that's great. She's also involved in the life of the church. She's in her journey group, part of GPS 55. She said something she always wanted to do was take some art classes. And I saw some stuff she's done. It's really good. To see after the death of a loved one, it's time for us to take a look at our life and ask the Lord, Lord, what are my passions? What are the gifts and talents that you've given me that you want me to use for others? Because that's what he's called us to do. And then we need to begin to take a step towards that new God-given identity. You know, Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are God's work, hand, workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do works, good works which he prepared in advance. First Peter tells us that we should use whatever gift that we have received to serve others, that it might glorify God. That's why we do that. And that's what Shirley did. It was, wasn't easy. But she made a decision and she allowed the Lord to help her create a new identity in what she's doing. The fifth goal is moving forward. This is probably one of the hardest things to do, to create some kind of new normal. Your new normal is what you're going to do now and how you're going to contribute to your life and to the life of the others around you. Maybe ministering to them with a greater empathy because God always uses the things we go through to help other people. 
But one thing about moving forward, you have to make sure that you invite others around you to join in on that process. The Bible says in Galatians 2, 6-2, that we are called to bear one another's burdens because it fulfills the law of Christ. You have to invite people in. You have to say, hey, call them. Call me. Visit me. Let's go out. Let's do something. Help me to be a part of moving forward so I can create that new normal around me. And it's a decision. Shirley said that every year on New Year's, her and Dick, when he was alive, they would sit down and, and open the Psalms to 119 and they would pray over that whole thing and then they would spend time for the New Year praying for their family and their kids. And she said it was last year or year and a half ago when that happened. She sat down to do that and when she started praying, the Lord started speaking to her. It's time for you to move on. I've got things for you to do. And Shirley said, I had to sit down and make a decision. Yes, Lord, I'm moving forward. I don't, it's not that I'm going to forget about my husband of 60 years, but I, I have to move forward. See, it's a decision that you have to make. It's not an easy one. That's why you involve other people to help you in that. Now, in that sometimes, people get to that point and they feel like they get a little stuck because of those emotions are still going on in our head. And so I tell people, look, go see a Christian counselor if you need to. Always, they're there. It's not a sign of weakness to see a counselor. It's a sign of strength. The other thing you can do is get involved with a small group or a group of people that you love and you know that care about you. A place where you can share your heart and invite people to be a part of your new normal. Very, very important. The final goal is storing your memories of your loved ones. And this is a hard decision and it's only done in everybody's time frame. People say they've journaled or they've written down favorite memories and put them away. They ask friends to share memories. They make scrapbooks. See, one thing nobody can take away from us Nobody is the memory that we have of our loved ones. And that's the things we hold on to and we cherish. Shirley said that she still leaves Dick's reading glasses on the nightstand. Just as a reminder. When she sees those, it reminds her of her love for her husband of 60 years. She said for the first year, she slept in his bathrobe. <laughs> it's those little things. And no one can tell them what they ought to do. It's up to the individual. What memories do I want to have? All these goals can be, they can help you along your journey of grief, but they also advance what God wants to do in your life. The Bible says in Romans 8, 28, for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. It doesn't say that everything in life is going to be good, but there's a promise here 
that God can turn even our grief, something meant for evil, something that's bad, he can turn it into something good. Let me give you an example of that. Another tragic story. Peter Red was a professor at Virginia Tech. And on April 17th, 2007, he was in his office today that another shooter came up on the campus, killed a bunch of students and wounded a bunch of students. And it was not after the, until the lockdown that his email came up and he learned that his daughter Mary, a student at Virginia Tech at the time, was among one of the students killed that day. This man had a nominal faith. He went to church maybe on Easter and Christmas. He said he knew about God, but he just, you know. But in his grief, he set out on a quest to heal, and he began to seek God like he'd never sought him before. He had the same questions as Lewis talked about. Why'd God allow this to happen? Is God really good? I don't understand what he's doing. It took some time, but this professor, by accepting that reality of his situation and dealing with all those emotions and the memories of his daughter, that turning to God started moving him forward to finding a new identity. But see, as, that, as the Lord started healing this man's heart, <laughs> his faith grew immensely. And what happened? was he found a newfound relationship with the Lord Jesus that was active, that it changed his life. He even began to do mission work, which he's still doing today, and God has used him to help other people who have lost people in tragedy. You see, that promise, what, what is meant for evil, what is sometimes not good, God can turn the bad things in our life around and do something spectacular because that's who he is. He can turn our mourning into gladness. So recap these points, acceptance, turning to God, expressing your emotions, establishing that new identity, moving forward and storing those memories. They're important. Now, that's for the person who's grieving. What about the rest of us who have friends and families that are doing this? I want to close this morning with some ways that you can help your friends who are grieving on their journey of faith, some practical application for you to help other people. The one thing that you should never say to a grieving person is, you just need to get over it. Or it's been long enough. You just need to move on. No, don't say that. Everybody grieves differently. The time is differently. We need to be sensitive, be full of grace and mercy, and realize that everybody's different. We need to be available when they want to talk. One of the ladies I talked to recently said that she had called her sister to talk about the loss of her husband and how she was feeling. And her sister says, you know what? I really don't want to talk about that. It's just too painful. How do you think she felt? 
Because see, what we really need to do with people, we need to spend time with them and listen to them and be available. We need to be like Job's friends, not in the end, but in the beginning. What did they do? They came and for seven days they sat and they said nothing. They just listened. It wasn't until they opened their mouth that things fell apart. Is that true? <laughs> but, and so we just need to spend time with people. And you know, the greatest picture of this in Job is this. In the beginning of the book of Job, Job knew about God. But if you look at the end of that, Job had something far better. He lost everything, material, lost his, I mean everything. And the Bible says everything was restored to him. But the greatest thing that Job received was that he had a new intimate relationship with God through his grief. You see how God turned something bad into something good. We can never forget that. He's always for us. The same thing happened to the man at Virginia Tech. <laughs> he had a nominal faith and a real faith, an intimate relationship. We just need to allow people to grieve in their own way. Don't compare your loss in your past to somebody else. Allow the ministry of your presence to be your greatest tool. And lastly, this. Sometimes as believers, we struggle when a loved one passes because we have prayed fervently and we believe in healing, and yet they still pass away. In her book, Hearing Jesus Speak Into Our Sorrow, Nancy Guthrie speaks about the purposes of Jesus' healing miracles in the gospel. Now, we know that part of those purposes of Jesus healing was to show the power of who Jesus was that he was the son of God to display God's glory however I believe they also had a greater purpose and so does Guthrie because you see everybody that Jesus healed guess what happened to them they finally passed away because they're human Oh, well, what's the purpose of his healings? To display his glory. But it's also to show us the greatest healing in our life is our salvation. The greatest healing is what Jesus does to us in our heart to bring us into a, a relationship with him. When Jesus healed the man with leprosy, he was showing us that he can heal us of the most destructive disease in our lives, the disease of original sin. When he heals the blind man in Mark 10, he's showing us that he can remove our spiritual blindness so we can see him for who he is, the Son of God. When Jesus healed the paralytic man, he is showing us that he can remove the sin that cripples us. And when he raises his friend, Lazarus, from the dead, he not only shows us, but he tells us, I am the resurrection and the life. 
All his healings point to the greatest healing in heaven. See, in heaven, our healing is eternal. Revelations 21, 1 through 4 talks about a new heaven and a new earth. And it says, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is among his people, and he will dwell with them, and, he will, and they will be his people. And God himself will be their God, and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning or grieving or crying because all the old has passed away. That's the greatest healing. It's what Jesus was pointing to. And in this passage, he says that his people... We sang that song, I'm a child of God. Do you know this morning that you are a child of God? Do you know that you've received that healing that you need for the greatest, deadliest disease of sin? Have you allowed that to soak into your heart? Because see, the only cure to that is found in the arms of Jesus. So the question today that I leave you with is this. Have you placed your faith and your hope in Jesus to the point that you know for certain that you're healed, that you're going to be with him in glory, that he's going to call you his child? Have you received him as Lord? Because that's where our healing begins and ends. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you, Lord, for your healing balm, Lord. This morning to come across this congregation and people online, Lord, I know at any given week there's people who are hurting and grieving the loss of a loved one. And Lord, you're the great comforter. So would you come this morning and move among your people and bring healing? And Lord, if there's anybody here today that has not asked Jesus to come into their life, to bring that eternal healing to their soul, to forgive them of their sins, Lord, I pray that this would be the day that they bend their knee to you. And so, God, we ask, Lord, in the name of Jesus, Lord, you would speak to hearts. And if that's you today, you can just say, Lord, I'm a sinner. I acknowledge that. Lord, would you come into my life and wash me clean? Lord, would you come in and heal my soul? Make me your child. Thank you, Lord, for forgiving me and saving me. In Jesus' name, amen.